Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. And from this point on, I will be the only one consistently talking for the rest of this commentary. Yes, today we're doing Bionicle 2, Electric Boogaloo? It's called Legends of Metronui, though for our first trivia fact, this was originally going to be called The Mask Maker. That was the title before they changed it. It's a nice little character-based title, in my opinion. really implies the epic that's ahead of us. No, so we're back. Obviously, we did our commentary track for um, Bionicle 1, Mask of Light. You can click the link below um, for that. Um, just a brief recap of our involvement with Bionicle. I had literally never seen anything Bionicle until we did that commentary track and only watched this movie for the first time last night. Jake? Yeah. Wait, I thought we were talking about Hero Factory. See, it's very, it's very frustrating to me. Like, it's a little frustrating to me because I, I think, for me personally, Bionicle is one of the most underrated uh, sort of toy-based story franchises. I, you know, I grew up seeing Transformers being very popular and stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I actually don't know a ton about those, so I'm not trying to criticize them. But it always seemed like uh, Bionicle had sort of a deeper lore and a deeper fundamental understanding of storytelling that kind of is ignored now just because the line in retrospect didn't have quite as much staying power um it was very popular back in the day obviously but we're not here to talk about that that was just our summation we're here to talk about this second bionicle film yeah this came out in um oh three right this came out in 2004 oh four this is that's only important because this is an adaptation of the 2004 story which was a prequel that was set before the first bionicle film and by extent, the first three years of Bionicle. But we're not here just to provide context. We're here to discuss the film. And so we got our opening here. And I think even here, you can sort of see, this obviously isn't quite Pixar, but they're really making the most out of the limited budget they probably had for a direct-to-DVD film in 2004. Yeah, I said last night when we were talking about this, because, yeah, of course, you make the comparison to Pixar um, with the CGI, but... I say, you know, pound for pound in quality. I think this is probably better quality than any of the Disney, like, direct-to-video movies with, like, maybe the exception of, like, Lion King 2, I thought had decent animation, though I haven't seen that in, like, 20 years. But it seems like whoever, Lego or the Weinsteins or whoever actually put the money into this, you know, they put as much as possible into this. And it, it still looks pretty good for being nearly 20 years old. Yeah, so this was, I, I, I believe Lego financed it, um... The production company in charge of it was Creative Capers, and then the animation studio itself was outsourced to uh, another country. I believe it was Japan. So uh, we were talking about the uh, the animated com- commercials for the toys. How come they didn't animate this movie? That's a good question. I think part of it was because they were just like a commercial animation studio, and they wanted a company that had more of a uh, understanding of film and storytelling and whatnot. Um, and on the same token, they made the characters look different because they thought that making them look exactly like the toys uh, would get distracting from a technical standpoint mm. because they look like you look at them for too long. They do look like plastic toys. Mm, and okay. like if you were to light it, then lights would shine through all the holes in them and stuff. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, I think I think they probably still could have done it or made it look a little closer. But I, you know... 
I've come to appreciate the animation for what it is in this, especially like I think this film has like a pretty damn good sense of atmosphere. Yeah. And I think the I, you talked about it a little last night, Jake, but the uh, the art design in the city is pretty unique. Yeah, you know? I, I I will say I again I'm not the biggest fan. I, I I had some of the toys as a kid, but so I'm I got I consider myself more of an outsider. But shots like this I love. I I, I love uh, the more organic look to it. It hasn't I should say primitive. I think that's the operative word. Yeah. I, I kind of like the yeah. simplicity of that primitive look. I think it's a little more interesting personally than than the stuff in the first movie. But that's just like a personal thing. I, you know what I think is unique is this is like sort of a futuristic city, but they give it a lot of organic elements. Mm-hmm. You still have like these carvers working in the desert. You have like a lot of water and weather elements. Yeah. A lot of stuff's made of stone, I notice. Uh, there's always been an interesting contrast with Bionicle's art style where the characters are robots, but the actual elements and world they live in is sort of a real world stone sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they brought it to the city, which could have just been like a cyberpunk type environment. Um, Yeah, no, I I enjoyed the look of the cities as well. Um, I'm still as my second. I'm sorry. This was the part last night I said we had to. So you'll notice here, Vakama has a little helper. And I've looked into it because that little helper thing wasn't a set. And it was a minor fascination of mine as a child. And I found out that is actually a model of a Borak, which was one of the action figures. Hmm. And they took the head off it, shrunk it, and just had it walking around. Um, oh. Yeah. And because you look at it, it's the only thing that doesn't look like the rest of the stuff. It looks like one of the Bionicle toys. Mm-hmm. It's not stylized like all the other characters. And they just took a CGI model of a Bullrock Lego set, took the head off, and had it walking around there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think I read that on, on some of the trivia. Yeah, I think that goes into the almost scrappiness, no pun intended, since they're kind of in a scrapyard. Um of this um, franchise that's like, you know, they're trying to use everything they can. And it's like, you can feel the heart in this. Like I said, you know, I never watch anything Bionicle, really. I had a couple of the McDonald's toys, just incidentally. But that's about it. But watching the first one and this one, it's like, these are like, actually like, really like, well-made children's movies. Confusing to me, but... Speaking of confusing, so you hear that line there. He tells the one assassin, you lost the right to call me brother long ago. And so here's a little fun fact to make things even more confusing for everybody. That assassin with the spider legs, Nidiki, um, in the extended lore, he was a Toa. So to boil it all down, there was a big war thousands of years before this movie. And Nidiki and Lakan, who is the Toa we see here, were allies. And they were fighting against the Dark Hunters in this big war. And Nidiki was sort of the Benedict Arnold of the whole thing. And he betrayed them. But... Hmm. The Toa ended up winning the war, and they banished him. And he ended up, through related circumstance, getting mutated into this monster. And that's why... Much like Benedict Arnold did. Yes, it's very similar. And that's that's why he calls him brother briefly, briefly huh. here. So it's a, you know what it is. It's one of those things. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, where, or Star Wars, actually. I know that's like the go-to example with any franchise, but you don't need to know all these details to get the basic story they're telling. The story is pretty straightforward. It's like kind of a hero's journey you know from nobody to legend yeah these things just 
uh, add to what's already there. Yes. They enhance what's already there, which is already, I think, a pretty solid story in this movie. I love these dream sequences. Looks like the PC and the Mac commercial from the early 2000s. <laughs> this is where they, they really, again, you know, there's like kind of a sense of artistry to this, where they, they aren't just showing toys walking around fighting each other or talking. There's like kind of a, a real vision to mm -hmm. the, the fundamental visual storytelling there. I, yeah. We'll get into it later. I don't think it all totally coalesces, um, but it's pretty interesting, and I think it's kind of uh, a unique choice for something like this. Yeah, it's all made to be like a movie, which they could have, you know, half-assed it and been like, oh, it's just a commercial. We just got to use this to sell toys, but there's an actual artistry to this, which not everybody would have done at the time. I, yeah, I give credit to, you know, the Bionicle story team for coming up with a lot of this, because I guess not uh, coming up with like the story, because I guess like when the filmmakers came into this, the story was basically already outlined for them. But I give the filmmakers credit for having a directorial vision to it. And that actually, I think that gets stronger in this film compared to the last one. Mm -hmm. I would argue it's even stronger in the next one. So you say the third one has the best executed story and structure? Um, I would say this one has the best story and structure. However, the third one is interesting, almost a little deconstructionist, and I think has the strongest directorial vision in terms of how oh. it's directed. Okay. But no, I think this movie has a pretty solid uh, pretty solid structure and story to it. Um, just saying here, this robot who just said uh, mask maker, now I have matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof stuck in my head, and I really would like to see Fiddler on the Roof acted out by Bionicles instead. So, Jacob, get on that. Who would be the Fiddler? That implies I know any of their names. <laughs> It would be Makuta, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that voice. I will say, even that though I don't... gravelly, chocolatey voice. <laughs> I will say, even though I don't know any of the names here, like, I'm like, I, this is why I realize I'm an adult. Like, I'm a dad now. That I'm like, oh, yeah, those robots that, like, fight each other. Like, I don't know their names. I enjoy it still. I'm just very confused. Maybe if I watch this, like, a few more times, I would understand. I I, I still don't know the names either. I, I can't keep them straight in my head. It, it's one of those things that I was thinking about when I was doing research on this today, and I was getting lost <laughs> after five minutes. I, we were talking about this last night, but um, I think there needed to be a more unified thing to just bind all this stuff together, like a TV show like Transformers or something. And then you could still have all this stuff, like a, all like the books and the comics and the video games and everything, but I think there need to be more centralized things like a conduit for all this mythology. And I think this, a, story, a, a television structure would have probably fit that best. You know what the thing is? Because I agree with you, but the books were that. Mm -hmm. You read the books, you got the whole story. Yeah. Um, the problem is I just don't think doing books was the most accessible uh, way of telling yeah. it. And I know it's like a little cynical to say that Kids would have rather watched TV than like go and seek out a book and read it from start to finish. Um, I just, unfortunately, I think that's the reality, especially with this target demographic. I, I think if yeah. it was a TV show, it probably would have been a little bit more accessible because then you can just turn on the TV and watch it instead of having to go to a bookstore and like read a book. And as a person who, a kid who liked reading, I enjoyed that. 
but I understand that. See, I, I did too, but I had no idea of, of the existence of these books. And it for me, I, my exposure was just these toy lines that would come out every six months, and I just got more confused by them, and I got more alienated. Um, so I think a show would have helped because, you know, you know, whether you love reading or not, TV is kind of still the thing that everyone yep. does. I mean, like you said, it, it'd be more accessible, but I, I think that's what should have happened. Otherwise, I think this this franchise would have lasted a lot longer. Yeah, I um, think Bionicle was just ahead of its time doing like the cross-media between the books. You then had comics online, games, movies, shit like that. That Even though, like you said, the books got the majority of the storytelling through that it's a little also then difficult for a newcomer to like, okay, I got to go track down all mm-hmm. X amount of these books, you know, in the era before Amazon was really big and like, you know, was, what was the you know secondary market on eBay like type thing? Legos were expensive too. Yeah. Like that, it, it felt like we were obligated to keep up with the toys, even though I know there are other options, but the problem is we weren't aware of those options. So it was just, it, it kind of faded after a couple of years for me. Um, it, it was something I wish I would have stayed with because if I did, I'd probably be more like you, Jacob, with this because it's it's all very interesting once you dig into it and understand it. And that's a cautionary and, tale. It, by well, the, the way. thing is, it's like any great mythology like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Like it's it's the same thing. It just I, I didn't do as good of a job of of maintaining that kind of that unified, you know, that unified sense that those other franchises have. It's like a unified way of understanding it. Yeah, yeah. It is like, you, if you read the books, you got the whole thing. But the books were you know, hard to track down, and they were hard to find, and you didn't know about them. But uh, yeah, that, and what's interesting is that the movies, because there was always like a level of canon, too. And this is getting into like the nerdy shit that doesn't really matter. Sorry, this is now getting into the nerdy shit? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the stuff that doesn't matter, I should say. Because it's like, there was like degrees of canon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like certain things like certain events would be portrayed more than once over the course of like a a year like the comics and the books and the movies would each show like the same scene from a different like medium standpoint but they would be slightly different um usually as a result of the artist like messing something up in the comic or the writer changing something and so they would have to sort out what was canon what was not from there but what was interesting was because the movies were considered the most accessible form of media whatever appeared in the movie, at least initially when it came out, was considered to be true canon, and anything that contradicted that was yeah. apparently wrong. But then later, they changed that because the movies, they stopped making them, and that's when good old Greg Farshady, the writer of the Bionicle books, could come in and start cutting out the stuff he didn't like from the movies, which we'll get into later when we get to a specific scene that Greg deemed non-canon. Yeah. Again, this is all interesting, but from a kid's perspective following that, like that's... It's nearly impossible. Uh, yeah, that's more interesting from like a meta perspective. Yeah, though. yeah. Like in, in terms of the mythology, I mean, it wasn't like anything too crazy. It was normally stuff that just like you know, weirdos that follow this too closely. Not that I know any, um, would pick out. Like, why is this disc a different color, or why is this mask a different color in the comic than in the movie? And then William Shatner would come out and tell you to get a light. <laughs> Have any of you ever kissed a girl before? We're nine, Mr. Shatner. So there's Nivok, who was the pet bird slash spy of the Turaga, and it always drove me crazy because he looks very different from his toy. In it's this. a different color, right? Yeah, because it was like uh, I had that set, and it was a menacing-looking black and silver bird, and here mm-hmm. it's like multicolored. 
So yeah. qu- quick question for you. When you keep saying set, do you mean just like a figure or it came like with a play set as well? So like if you um, – it was like a set. They made Bionicle play sets later on in the future, but not at this point. Okay, so literally just a figure. Okay. So here actually – so what we're seeing here, the search for the great discs, is like a quick montage in this movie. This was actually the first half of the – bionicle story for 2004 Mm -hmm. and they just sum it up in like a minute here which is very well done for what it is but it was very uh what the way they released these sets were they released the toa sets in the first half of the year and just the toa um along with the matorn sets but i don't want to confuse you guys more so i'm just going to leave that out and then all the other sets of all the other characters the vaki which were the security guards the dark hunters taragaduma all of them were released like in the summer so they needed a story that could just involve the Toa before getting into the other stuff because the sets weren't out yet. Well, I read that in that montage there. There's a reason why they're not using their Toa powers in this movie, and it's because their energy was depleted in in these in that storyline. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, and that's and I I, I like that because like noticing in hindsight, finding that out, it's it's a little more interesting. They don't have their powers; they have to. Well, and rely more, it's more of a char- it's more character based. It, it relies more on kind of looking within themselves and it, the sense of self discovery than using their powers as like a crutch. It, it suits a good origin story too for for what these characters are going through. And then correct it's me, the as yeah, well. yeah, and, and I agree. But and then correct me for this. And then the reason why they don't use their powers in this is because they haven't discovered their disc power yet, or what's it called? That that we see that happening throughout the movie, where like flashlight. Oh, the mass powers. The mass powers. Yeah. Okay, so regardless, <laughs> we'll get to that later, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, reg- but regardless, they don't have their powers. But in the comic, they were it was depleted. In this, they just hadn't discovered them yet, and that's an example of things but being it, different. They, the Toa powers were different from the mask powers. So, like the oh. whole thing with Toa, where they were like an element. You got the fire Toa, the red guy. You got oh. the ice Toa, the white guy, and they had elemental powers. The fire guy could shoot fire, but you notice. They never do that in this. They never use those powers. And the books explained that it was because their powers had been depleted by this earlier story where they found the great discs. Now, I personally, there's always the conspiratorial side of me that was like the filmmakers just forgot. Mm-hmm. Like the comic writer and like the story team was like, well, why don't we explain that? Kind of like a classical retcon. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, see, and again, this is like, I think Bionicle, the story team and uh, Greg Farsty and the filmmakers like understood the fundamentals of storytelling and how to make these things interesting and mm-hmm. character based. Yeah. Um, I really like Jared uh, Plunkett. That's the guy's name that does the voice of Turaga Duma. Uh, I really like uh, his performance in this. It's mm-hmm. Very maniacal. Well, so he's 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 playing Makuta, playing, yeah, pretending to be this character. Yeah. Yes. Um, and this is a cool little uh, Did, I read, set piece. I read this. I think one of the writers, he was like really into like extreme sports or like surfing. And he used one of these obstacles. Um, I think it's like a wave thing or something like that. But it related to his fear of, of waves. I think I saw that on IMDb. Yeah. I, so, <laughs> so here's my question. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> that, that's the thing. So I, I went to look up the IMDb for this just like to do some quick research and there is like a ton of trivia listed under the IMDb page. Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah. Like much more than you would get for an average movie, which yeah. makes me think there was like two or three like Bionicle fans that just went and posted a ton of stuff. So 
yeah that's the thing you see with these like when you go on like these wikias or imdbs for these things is either it's barren or someone who has a lot of time post yeah. everything about it you should uh you ever want to have a fun night go look up the bionicle wall of history oh boy where these fans wrote the entire bionicle mythology from like the beginning of bionicle time to when the story ended and it's just pages and pages of text. See, I see. I can appreciate that because that's like any fan base, really. People who get very passionate, maybe a little obsessive about it. But, uh, but, again, if this had a more you know unified means of of holding everything together, I I, I know we kind of tease it and everything, but it's it's like any other franchise yeah. if you think about it. It just everything was just more des- disparate. Yeah, it yes. would, it would I be think disparate's the key word yeah. here. It would be, be It's great having a bunch of really diehard, super loyal fans, but you would rather have, I think, you know, a million average fans. That makes it a little bit more profitable, but it's still nice. That's got to make the makers of it be like, oh, wow, you know, even 20 years later almost, our stuff is still beloved. So there are consolations to this, yeah, I, too. Yeah, I just I wish this stuff was sort of more, like, remembered. Like, there was more staying power to just – this because I, I think I think I keep comparing it to like that 1980s animated Transformers film in my head. Mm-hmm, and yeah. I, I watched that and like there's like a big cult audience for that. And I I certainly don't mean to insult anyone that likes it. I, I kind of understand the appeal, but I don't think it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty corny for what it is. And obviously it's just taking a lot of narrative shortcuts to justify bringing in a new toy line. And it's not to say I can't enjoy it in like a corny way or just like even appreciate some of the stuff it does well but i think these films are much better made both in terms of the writing and in terms of the technical execution yeah i'm not saying obviously they came out like decades apart but no yeah for the technology at the time that they had compared to the technology at the time that they had like in context i think this is still better made well and you're not even like saying like better made from like uh literal like standpoint of animation errors or stuff like that you're talking about like a storytelling yeah. which that do- it doesn't matter whether it was written in 1988 1888 or 2021 like the story could still be well done and you know i haven't watched all the transformers animated movies but it's like you know i could from clips i've seen and reviews i've seen it's competently made whether from a technical standpoint and just again at, yeah, watching just... this for the first time it's like these are like you know well-made and like very good children's movies that I think hold up. And this is coming from someone who has literally zero nostalgia for this brand. Just look at this scene we just watched Mm -hmm. where the statue falls down. Now, if that was like a more straightforward, like kids cartoon or something, they would have just shown the statue fall down from like a medium wide shot. But here it's like the buildup as you follow the disc hit the statue. And then the close up of the statue falling down as the birds fly out from behind it. And uh, there is sort of a, a sense of scale and scope and uh, cinematography that I think helps set it apart even just a little bit. By the way, this shot just reminds me of um, Attack of the Clones. I was about to yeah. say that, actually. I was thinking that same thing. Yeah. Where's Count Dooku? <laughs> get him. We have to I, get to that hangar. Occasionally, I mean, it's it's different because it has an organic feel, but I get slight Coruscant vibes from that. Yeah. It looks just as realistic as what we saw in the prequels. Well, speaking of Metro Nui, buzzing. I, I read that. Never speak bad faith to the prequels here. <laughs> so, well, speaking of Metro Nui, I read that this all takes place inside a cave. If, if I'm okay. So here was the design change, though. It used to be like an underground, like really cavernous, dark. 
cave, but then they, they changed the design of it, where this is still in a cave, but it's... Well, you can, I guess you can go in a little more in-depth of it. Yeah, basically, to, to boil it down into one sentence, Metronui exists in a giant cavern that's underneath the island from the first movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that was a big mystery like for a while. Why is Metronui in this big cavern underneath the city? And it turns out it's because Metronui is inside the giant Matanui robot. Mm -hmm. And Matanui, which was the island from the first one, was on top of the robot. It was like a real island. Mm -hmm. um, and that's me trying to sum it up in the least confusing way possible without bringing any of that context in. No really. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, again, there was like a mystery oh. to this whole thing. So, Jacob, can you explain this? So, we know this character is actually Makuta. So, why is he talking to himself? Yeah, I cannot explain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like this was like sort of a, a point of discussion. I remember back in the day. Yeah, that's a everybody was like, "Why is he talking to Makuta?" It's here? a bit of a cheat. You know, you know what? I wonder what might have happened. What? I wonder if the decision changed at one point. Yeah. Like maybe, and this is—I have no evidence. This is totally conspiratorial. Maybe at one point during filmmaking, Taraga Duma was working for Makuta, and they filmed the scene, mm. and then they changed it. And they didn't have time to change the scene. I, you can justify I could, it and say he's talking to himself. But. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you know, if they had to do no, that, not that external. <laughs> if they did that with the Michael Bay um, Ninja Turtles movie, where originally William Fitchner was supposed to be Shredder, but then they're like, "Oh, that's kind of like racist if we do that," and then they just like uh, shoot a couple scenes with him talking to this guy in shadows, and that's literally what they did with that movie. So I can buy. Lego being like, yeah, now let's change it. We don't have enough money to go back and redo that scene. Just whatever. That's, again, there's no evidence of that. It could be completely wrong. That's my conspiratorial thought behind it because I, I don't understand what's supposed to be happening there otherwise. Could just been a thing where if they had to fix it, maybe they just see the guy coming and he's like talking to himself and they're like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. It could have just been that. Um, they should have done it like the first Spider-Man with Willem Dafoe. Follow the chill up your oh, yeah. spine, Makuta. Yeah, maybe it could have made it. I don't know. Fuck it. But it's like it's because Makuta in these movies monologues to himself already. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I just could have done that again. Yeah. Okay. Um, love this action scene. Yeah. Love the idea of this shoot system that transports everything throughout the city. Yeah, this is cool. Slicing through the water, like that shot there is great. And I, I actually kind of like this stuff where they're just, like, stuck in the prison. Mm -hmm. it, it almost reminds me of, like, the Karate Kid in a weird way where he's making them do the weird tasks and mm -hmm. stuff. Where it's like, put the blindfold on and carry the rock in circles. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought you meant, like, the, I'm like, I don't recall this scene where Daniel goes to prison in the first Karate Kid movie. Was that in part three? I, so I actually, I think if, I think the story with the other three is slightly stronger than this, but I still appreciate this sort of more scaled down character elements of the three hanging out in prison yeah yep. and there's the guy that when he appeared everybody as a kid was like what's that and they checked their lego magazines frantically <laughs> and, what because that, that was not a set so were you like screaming at your parents mom dad we missed one no <laughs> no we're just like what that wasn't in the catalog. I'm just imagining Jacob being like um, Kathy Bates in Misery. Like when she's describing going to the zero, she just like stood up and screamed, no, it's wrong. That would have been Jacob screaming um, about this. My parents would have punished me immediately and yet also been completely baffled by whatever I was talking about if I tried to do <laughs> anything like that. Um, 
He wasn't cock a doodle doo bionicle. Oh my god. <laughs> Stick around for my misery commentary, folks. No, it I do agree. I I, I prefer the first one because I like the scaled down cast, but I think this is I do like the upping the ante and like all the different set pieces we get here from like the water base tunnel, the prison, this ice fortress, which um, I like. We get in a second, like you see, like a po- a propaganda poster on the support beam. It's like, oh, that's weird that they included that where presumably no one would ever see it but okay yeah, this is all just part of the fun adventure structure there yeah. to really service the more the, the hero's journey i love the authoritarian vibes that you get from Tragoduma and the baki and that was emphasized in the commercials even more where it was like a big brother sort of thing mm-hmm. um, but i i love like the yeah like you said the propaganda posters and i love that big those television screens that show them always talking okay it took me years yeah. to discover the green bionicle was air. Not Seems like it should be like jungle. a jungle, right? I know it was yeah. changed in like the reboot, but I put still. I feel like a couple of those bionicles it might be a little redundant because stone and earth. I mean, come on. Really? Yeah, I guess a little. Yeah. And you gotta even, make a few even, more toys, guys. Come even on. ice and water. Uh, so uh, that, no, that, those okay, are too. Uh, yeah, I will give okay. you earth and rock are um, bullshit. Now, see, and this <laughs> goes into um, with Avatar. My gripe with that show. I really wish, and I guess you can't do this with children's properties, but I wish like you would see them use their powers like in more fucked up ways, like the air power. Like you just like suck the air out of like someone's lungs to kill them. Like, do you think they could do that on Nickelodeon? That happened in Bionicle. <laughs> um, that actually happened in a book. I think we were talking about it when we watched it called Time Trap, which was the book that was written that took place after the events of this movie, but before the last scene of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you're very curious to know, but we do have to continue with the commentary, yes, yeah, guys. Yes. So I'll tell you about it after. Let's be honest. If you're listening to this commentary, you're not like me. You're more like Jacob, <laughs> knowing everything about this. You're already in. Oh, oh, hold on. I'm getting a text from someone. I'm just going to tell them that I'm watching Bionicle 2 for the second time in one weekend. Yeah, my mom called me just a minute ago, and I had to be like, I, I don't care what's going on with your personal life on Mother's Day. Um I'm watching Bionicle 2. And she's like, okay, son. For the second time in a weekend. Second time in 24 hours, too. Shh, don't say that, bud. I think the ship has sailed on that. No. See, I, watching this, I, I felt like this would be a good plot for a Star Wars movie or something. I mean, it, I'm glad it's this is its own thing and it's doing that, but... This is the type of stuff I'd like to see with these new Star Wars movies. This is you better mean creativity than and expanding the universe. Y- yes, I, I actually, this is probably my favorite dream sequence in the whole thing. This whole thing, yeah. this nightmarish vision he gets of these like canisters, mm-hmm. and then it cuts and it shows the empty one, and then as the movie continues, you see like the canisters like mysteriously appearing in different locations they're visiting. It's like it's great, great foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was super confused by what was going on last night. And even ha- knowing what the movie's ending is, I still am confused. No, I understand <coughs> it. No, yeah. I, I, think, but yeah. I will say, I think the one, I mean, you know, I, I I think this movie is good, but we are grading it a little bit on a curve because it is like a directed dvd toy-based movie. But it's much better than most of its ilk. But yeah, I will yeah. say, if I'm going to point out any flaw, I think the villain's plan is not made 
very clear. I think it's a little confusing. And I like that they try and they don't just have them say what it is. They try and show it visually by having that grand culmination of all the visions at the end. But it still doesn't totally make sense if you don't have outside context, like from the books and stuff. Yeah, and I will say, even though, like, yeah, we're grading it a little bit on a curve, again, like I said earlier, this is better than, like, any of the, like, direct-to-video Disney movies, more or less. Like, they're, I, like, I'm really struggling to think of any of them that I liked, you know, the, even back in the day, more than I like this now as a, an adult. Let's be honest, this is better than a couple of the recent Pixar movies. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. There's like yeah, a Disney yeah. sniper on you right now. No, I, I you know, this, uh, you, you no, know, yeah. it, it's, there's a lot of heart in this. And I think that comes from Lego trying to carve out a chunk of the children's brand more than just, Hey, put a few of our blocks together and use your imagination. This is like when they were really ramping up like expensive sets is when they were starting to do the video games and all that. So it's like, it's very clear they're putting their heart into this, like really trying to gain a foothold. Well, yeah. Well, I'm curious how much, how much say did the Lego company have over these movies? Did they, was it pretty, did they give them a lot of free reign or was it, was it more controlled? My understanding is that they basically came in and told them what the story was. The Lego company? Yeah. Okay. So, like, it was the story, the Bionicle story team. Also, the Bionicle. It was the, the foreshadowing I was talking about. Okay. Um, but, yeah, yeah, basically, the way the Bionicle story worked was each year, the Bionicle story team would come up with the story for that year from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I guess according to the filmmakers, when they came in for this one, like, the story was basically outlined for them already, and they just worked from there. Okay, well, I meant, like, higher-ups. Like, were there any people from, like, the marketing department or just the more money people? Do they have their hands on any of this stuff? Um, It's not totally clear to me because there's not a ton of behind-the-scenes stuff with it. Um, But I think basically Lego is on the same page with all the Bionicle stuff at this point. Okay. The editor- In terms of editorial interference, you'll get that more in the next movie. Okay. Yeah. And we got a Spider-Man trilogy situation on our hands i guess it's different you know what's funny is that it wasn't higher up stuff it was disagreements over the direction the story should have gone in because oh okay just some the reason this was supposed to be the only year that took place in metro nui in the prequel era Mm -hmm. and they stretched it out an extra year because they liked the world so much that they built that they felt like it would have been a waste not to do anything else with it and so they stretched the story out an extra year by telling an interquel that takes place between the second to last scene in the last scene of this movie. And there were disagreements in the story team about what they should have done with that. Yeah. I, no, I, I'm interested in all this too, but couldn't they have just done a story about the Toa before these? Oh, wait, these are the first Toa. Weren't they? Well, the no. guy at the beginning well, was the be- a Toa. guy at the beginning, but didn't, wasn't he in a group or did the other people, people get killed off? There was, yeah, there's lots of Toa before that. But I, I, think, I think the idea... Maybe like maybe they wanted to continue the story moving forward because after the 2005 story, which is the third movie, they they cut back to the end of the third film and it went back to the present day. Mm-hmm. And it was about all the because the the first film ends with them rediscovering Metro Nui, and it was about them all returning to the city. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of where it went. But then the actual events of that story took place on a third new island that they came up with, and there were only minor elements of 
that took place on Metro Nui. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right, Andrew? (laughs) (laughs) Eyes glazing over. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I just love all this. It's it's very interesting, and I can see um, the words make me want to go to sleep, but the ideas I can get behind. It's it's the names. For me, that's the only thing about this that... That's a little alienating to me. I, I still can't keep it straight. But other than that, I'm I can Mikey names. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I still can't tell you the names of any of these fucking people. <laughs> don't ask me. I don't know them. We watched this like twelve hours ago, and I still can't tell you the names. There's a moment later on where like, what was the phrase that was used? And I'm like, what is that? And like Jacob had to like look at me. It was like, what do they call the little robots? Oh, oh, Matorn. Yeah, I'm like, what, what's the, the Matorn? The, the main robots in the movie. Yeah, he's like, what? What? Um, he's. They say the Matorn. I'm like, wait, what's the Matorn? And like, Jacob looked at me, not sure if I was joking or not, or like, no, if I'm like this, like out of the loop on it. For for context, we're watching this with subtitles on, and still the names are throwing us all for well. Throwing the two of them for a loop. I, I know all the names. Jacob actually has all these names tattooed on his like forearm. <laughs> yeah, see? Tall Matorn. That's what they thought the Toa were because okay. they didn't, they're beasts and they don't quite understand what the culture is. Yeah, I know the Toa and the Matorn. And, uh, hey, that's a good start. Makudu? It's close. It's Makuda. Makuda. <laughs> Which is the McDonald's one? I always used to get. Uh, what's it from Samurai Jack? Aku. Oh, his name confused with Makuda because I, I was, I could never remember the Samurai Jack character because I was such a big Bionicle fan. Which weirdly enough, there was like a cross promotion um, when Samurai Jack premiered. That was when they started premiering the Bionicle commercials. I think it was like a thing where they were like, oh. the Samurai Jack premiere has been brought to you by Bionicle or something. This is like what two thousand one then yeah. it had been okay. Yeah, I like shots like that. Very a lot of the vistas, very yeah. which looks like a western. I yeah, well, I think the directors actually said that that they wanted to focus on like greater expanse, and they they said greater vistas. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I again can't say it enough. Like it's a very well made movie. Like yeah, you could say oh it's not the greatest CGI, but it's like okay, you know, like you look at Toy Story one, it's not the greatest CGI, but it's still like the second best toy story movie. Like that's still pretty impressive. And like, this is like really well made for like what it was and what the budget probably was. Yeah. There's like animation errors you can pick out. One thing that always interested me that I never noticed was that apparently when the characters stop moving, they just revert back to their, like, like their, whatever their, their normal phases or their normal posture so they'll just stand there um, once their scripted movement is done. Hmm. Now, I've never personally noticed that, um, but there might be people with a more keen eye than I that have spotted that. Yeah, I didn't notice anything like too overtly major. This isn't like the original Ninja Turtles cartoon where like colors of masks like swap or something like no, that. No, nothing like that. Great shot here. Yeah. Yeah. Very, was it one of you guys said last night it was like be prepared or was I watching something else that someone compared be prepared? That was the to? night that we were watching Good Burger. Oh, yeah. That was a totally different <laughs> movie. <laughs> so you guys can't remember the names of like any of the characters from Bionicle. I cannot remember any of the characters' names from these, these Nickelodeon things. Well, you didn't watch them. Me. Well, no, I mean in general. Oh. Um, you don't remember um, Dexter from, from Kenan and Kel or from Good Burger, I mean. I genuinely didn't know there was a character with that name. Yeah, I that didn't was Keen, that was Keenan's name in um, Good Burger. Uh, I'm talking about like all all the Nickelodeon live action stuff. I couldn't. I, I didn't watch a ton of, so Look, I, I couldn't 
keep track. I know there was a lot of them, Jacob, but at least their names were Josh and Sam. <laughs> Not <laughs> um, the weirdest name on any of those shows was Gibby. Yeah. Well, hey, let's let's focus here. They're discovering their mask powers. Oh, okay. Yeah, like mind so, fucking this guy. Yeah. So the Onewa, the Toa Stone, has telepathy where you can control your mind, and then Nuju, who is the Toa Vice, has <laughs> telekinesis, and he can move stuff with his mind. And so it's a little little confusing because they're kind of similar. Yeah, because he was able to control the guy to just, like, sit down, so he was able to move him with his mind. I suppose you could argue that that one has only mental powers over organic, like, living people, and then the other one only has um, powers over inanimate objects, potentially, could be the difference. Now, here's a fun little fact. Um, those are the Vaki. And those were, there were six different kind of Vaki that you could get. And they only show two of them in the movie. They show the blue ones and they show the brown ones. Mm -hmm. So that's a either restraint on their part or they just, you know, they didn't have time to fit them in. Yeah, yeah. maybe get get a little confusing with, there's a uniformity to them that helps you kind of understand just in this one shot with them. Yeah, yeah. Makes it, yeah, I mean. I mean, that's the equivalent of, like, the, like, true builder figures that you would see, like, in, like, Star Wars, like, with the toys and all that. That's, like, it was designed to, like, hey, kids, you know, pony up a little extra dough. But, like, there wasn't a necessity for them to have as many in the movie itself. So it is a little restraint on the storytelling department that we're we're not going to try and cram every fucking toy we're selling in here. And I can admire that. That they're like, you know what? If kids want to buy it, they'll buy it. Same. I feel the same way. Because this legitimately does not – like, I know it literally was a commercial to sell toys when you really get down to why it was made. But, like, it doesn't feel like the Transformers movie, like you said, from what little I've seen. Like, the few scenes I've seen of them, like, oh, you're, this is exclusively to get us to buy new toys. Exactly. So let's, let's talk about the mask powers here. I think one thing – and I know their hands were kind of tied with this, but I would have liked to see the mask powers sort of correspond with the characters' traits a little bit more and their hmm. arcs. Now their hands were kind of tied here because they didn't, they weren't able to choose what the mask powers were. It was like uh, these characters existed before they made this movie and already had these mask powers, and they they had to fit them into the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple moments I noticed they try and do that, like with uh, Wanua with the flashlight power. <laughs> they say like something at one point earlier in the movie, like you can't see what's ahead of you or something like that, like in a symbolic sense. And I think that was their way of trying to make his power like a literalization yeah. of you know, his small character journey. Yeah. yeah. It's like the fantastic four read. You're stretching everywhere. Sue, you don't get seen. I'm just describing the first fantastic four movie. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're talking about the, the, not the, not the, not the, not the one. one. No, the, um, the, the 2000, like whatever one with Jessica Al, but like they literally say that in there, like they have read me like, it makes perfect sense. It's like, Johnny, we're always saying you're such a hothead. Sue, you always feel like you're not being seen. I'm stretching everywhere. And then, like, he pauses for a second with, like, Ben. And it's like, and you're a rock now. <laughs> um, I will say I do admire that at least structurally they fit in the reveal of the mask power as well. I like that Vakama's yeah. the last one to mm-hmm. figure it out. But he realizes it at the moment yeah. that his mentor passes away. Yep. And it's actually a pretty powerful moment, even if 
invisibility doesn't have much to do with his character arc. Yeah, yeah. I was. I think the only <laughs> I, the only other one that yeah, I was like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> pretty cool. <Yeah. laughs> I think the only other one that to me, like from what little I know about this, fits in is the, like the white ice one. Like, isn't he like a librarian? Like they say, oh, librarians don't know how to do this, and it's like, okay, can he control shit with his mind? That kind of works. He's a librarian. He loves astrology and books, <laughs> so he can move stuff with his mind. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I thinking of a different character? No, you know Is what? that another I, plot uh, point from Good Burger I'm confusing? You, you kind of have to stretch. I can kind <laughs> to quote Reed Richards or whatever. I guess Matau, um, I can kind of appreciate that his shape-shifting powers allow him to be kind of mischievous, which fits with his character. That's like the one. But again, like, you, you got to stretch, like, you know, uh, Ian Griffod to figure that out. Groford. Star of 102 Dalmatians. Is that wrong-looking Nevok? Yeah. Which, going back to 102 Dalmatians, the main topic of this video, I remember as a kid, I was begging my sister to, like, take me to, like, rent that movie at Blockbuster. And she's like, wait, I thought it was 101 Dalmatians. I'm like, yeah, they made another one. They find another Dalmatian. That was how I summed up that movie. <laughs> Andrew's also doing anything he can to talk about something else at this point. All those dogs are dead now. All right, so now we have... Oh, I guess Tragaduma is Makuta. I thought he, they were working together, but I guess they're the same person. And that's the thought process when you're watching yeah. the movie. That's my thought process now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I remember, like, Jake gasped last night when we were watching this. I'm like, uh... Well, because it was our first connection <laughs> to the first movie. Yeah. yeah. Is the character... Because I showed this to you guys, and I was like, you know... This is a standalone movie. It takes place many years before the first one. Don't worry about how it connects. It'll all make sense at the end. Would you guys say it yeah. did? I, I remembered everything. Yeah, so it, like, <coughs> it was kind of like a... It, it's interesting because as a Bionicle fan, you watch this and you're like... It's like you know a prequel thing. You know where it's all going, at least to some extent. Like, oh, the, these guys are going to become the, the elderly robots from the first movie. And yeah. They're going to end up on this other island, and who is the villain? But there's people with no context for that. Was it like kind of an aha moment at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. I will say with Makuta, I like remembered the villain from that. I didn't remember the mask, so like that really like changes the mask. That meant nothing to me. I was like just confused. I'm like, wait, is that going to give him like a new power? I didn't realize that was like what Makuta like looked like or whatever. So. It made sense enough for like a layman who literally this is the second time has watched anything Bionicle related. I got it enough when you see him transform in the end. I'm like, okay, and then see the other characters. I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those interesting things that I, as a Bionicle fan, never really considered until, you know, showing it to people who weren't as familiar. Oh, and we got our reveal here that Lee Khan was the mysterious Turaga in the prison. Yeah, these Bionicle movies, I realized, I described as, like, body horror when you really get down to, like, you can't go through puberty until you go through it all at once, and then when you get weakened, you literally turn into, like, an elderly man who needs a cane, like, immediately. Otherwise, you're, like, it's seemingly, from my point of view, almost, like, invincible. Like, unless, like, someone actually kills you, it seems like you're immortal, which this seems like a fucking hellscape of a world to live in from that perspective. I think... Because I'm also this is, Catholic, this is so splitting this is hairs. Terrible. But I want to say in the original <laughs> books and comics, the Turaga were actually stronger than the Matorans still, and okay. they just made them look more like old people in these movies. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but uh, funny you say body horror. Wait till we get to the third one. I mean, they're robots, but yeah. like, there's like a lot of stuff with mutation and like turning into like monsters in the, the next one. That's interesting because these things Coming aren't soon, quite organic. No, they're they're robotic. Aren't they cancer? What? I was making a joke reference to um, apparently the inspiration for Bionicle was cancer. It was, yeah. What? The guy who came up with the concept for Bionicle, Christian Faber, came up with the idea when he was undergoing treatment for a brain tumor. Oh. Huh. Um, yeah, and this is, uh, he like had this idea when they were going through, he was going through chemo of like sending all these little robots in to like, you know, hmm. fight the tumor. And that was sort of where the big concept of Bionicle came in, which oh. is they're all nanobots serving this giant robot. So that was there from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. I, I give Lego credit. Yep. They had the direction of the story planned out since the, the, uh, the start of the line. Hmm. Yeah, I can't say that about Transformers. Yeah. You can't say that about the prequels or the sequel trilogy either. You mostly can't say it about the sequel trilogy. See, shit we need the Bionicle story out. team to write the story for the next Star Wars trilogy. Why the hell not? Yeah. I, I just <laughs> bring in Greg Farshady, who's not going to outline anything. And uh, oh, jeez. And have this crazy thing. That's uh, Greg Farshady... Uh, He's actually, um, I, I actually think he's a he's a pretty good writer, and he's a very insightful guy if you listen to interviews with him. But he had an interesting way of writing where he would never outline anything, and um, he would encourage kids not to because he thought it would encourage them to write more. Because he always thought that if you outline, then you're letting your plot dictate things rather than your characters. Well, I do not agree with that. Um, <laughs> it's interesting though. Um, always, I see what I see what he means, but not necessarily. That's how I'm going with my writing from now on. Can be like Stephen King then. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much what it is. Yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, you're telling me that Stephen King will occasionally go on tangents, is what you're saying? <laughs> oh, so this scene, <laughs> this scene was the scene that Greg Farshti deemed non-canon, and it's because the joke is that Matau is hitting on Nokama, the green Toa is hitting on the blue Toa. And the, uh, he, he had a whole strict thing where there was no romance allowed in Bionicle because they were not totally organic creatures and he didn't want to get into sex stuff. But the movie makers put it in there because they wanted to add some humanity to the characters. I, I, see, I get both sides to that because of the implications of having any sort of sexuality because these things are robots. So it's like, well, what the hell do they do then? How do you deal with that? But then on the other hand, it's I do like the humanity of it. it gives them it's otherwise they are just cold robots but that is the point too so i guess your mileage may vary on that sort of thing as someone who loves yeah. short circuit i want to say that <laughs> robots can have feelings that's that's kind of the difference <laughs> number like, five uh, is alive you you look at um the movies and the movies have like corny jokes i think in them and like comic relief and stuff but like there were, it does feel a little more human by adding these elements and the romance in there. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the books kind of did away with a lot of that and made it more focused on like the broader character arcs and also the um, the plot and mythology. And that was like maybe not like as cringeworthy at times with some of the silly stuff, but there was less humanity as a result. Mm -hmm. 
and even then, like, I think, you know, get the stick out of your ass, buddy. No, um, I, like, as... Uh, <laughs> we're actually going to have him on for an interview, Wash. You better show <laughs> oh, up. Oh, shoot. Um, no, I, I get that feeling, but I think also, again, as someone who's never watched this, like, it didn't seem too kiddish or anything like that. I, I could see, like, when you said, like, you taking some of the, like, humor out to, like, not make it, like, cartoonish or whatever, even though it is cartoon, um, that I think it's still, like, that was subtle enough that it didn't, like, feel like we're doing, like, a Nickelodeon kids show, like, level goofiness. That's like, okay, he's half-ass hitting on her. That I think as a kid I might not even catch that as, like, a romantic thing. It didn't seem too bad, personally. It was in the last movie, too, with uh, Jala, the red and yellow Matoran, and Wait, Holly, mean- the blue Matoran. Oh, mm. the last one we watched, not like the literal last one, because I was gonna say no spoilers. Oh no, yeah, I meant the the, the first, first Bionicle movie. God, could you imagine if we watched these backwards? I'd be somewhat more confused. <laughs> Third movie takes place between the second scene, the second to last scene, and the last scene of this movie, which takes place before the first film. It's an inter interquel. An interquel to a prequel. Okay. I feel like they had to be the first who could come up with that term. <laughs> Remember when the Lion King one and a half did that as well, but it sucked. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? Lion King one and a half did that. Actually, they didn't even go yeah, into the second one. He's just doing anything he can to talk about <laughs> something. <laughs> no, I'm trying to bring it back to point out that this is better than what Disney was doing. No, that I actually that was a point I did not think of, and I think it's a very good yeah. point because there is. There's like little technical things you can point out with the animation and like overall some storytelling flaws, but they're flaws of ambition, I find, which is strange to be saying for a merchandise-driven film. I mean, you can get flaws in anything. And like Back to the Future 1, you can see the cable on Christopher Lloyd and like the clock tower scene and like shit like that. It's like any movie is going to have flaws. Like Citizen Kane has flaws in it, but it's like, yeah, it's it's not a... Half-ass, like, you know, you would see, like, on a Mystery Science Theater or a Red Letter Media-reviewed movie where it's like, oh, what the fuck were they thinking? It's just like, yeah, mistakes happen, Um, which is what my parents said about me. (laughs) Andrew, we can't focus on your trauma. We're trying to talk about Bionicle 2. I like the hand. I don't know why I like it. It's cool. The animation on it is weird. I can't pinpoint, like what about it feels weird and i also joked here that i did not understand what was going on I was like was he gonna like murder these two and yeah that's what happens he kills the two of them and the bird and uses the pieces to build the body that he has in the first movie um <laughs> i think that came from the fact that uh makuda for this year was not a set you had to combine those three sets to build them I think that's where the idea came from. Probably. Cha-ching. Hey. It's how you fit your merchandise-driven stuff in there. Yeah. I actually, she was called... Yeah. The set wasn't called Makuta, though. It was called Ultimate Duma, I remember. So it was unclear to me that it was actually Makuta until the movie came Guess out. Guess they wanted it to be a C. Okay, because looking on the Bionicle wiki, I saw three different types of Makuta, and I got very confused. There was Makuta... Something... Jake's bringing up his phone. But as he brings this up, that scene where they were coming, charging down the pathway, and then had to go off the side, reminded me of Dexter's Lab ego trip in an unironic <laughs> great way. So this scene here, I really like this moment where he's like, he realizes what's really happening with the mask of time and with Makuta, and all the visions are recontextualized, and he like he gets the bigger picture. 
I just think it doesn't make it quite clear enough what Makuta's real master plan is, which was to put all the Matoran into comas, uh, wipe their memories, and then use the mask of time to shift time forward a thousand years and wake them up and make them think that he was their savior. Yeah, I just thought it, the bad guy... It kind of tries to visually no. imply it, but... Yeah, I just thought the bad guy wanted time travel to, like, get to the future to do something. Or go back in time to do something. Yeah, so uh, he was going to use the mask to shift time forward. Oh, Makuta Teradax? You want things to get more confusing? No. no. <laughs> we can... That's his real name. Okay, okay, so, that's it, that's it. They later introduced many Makutas, and it turned out yeah. there were hundreds of Makutas, and... This Makuta from the movie's name was Teradax, but he later killed all the other Makutas. Okay, because I see Makuta species, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, and then I saw Makuta the Mask Hoarder. Um, That's what you call someone who owns what was too his, many bionicles. What was his actual name, or was that? It just says Makuta the Mask Hoarder under the on the like this thing. You got a screenshot that's so I can put it up on the screen now. So anyways, this scene, um, the robot toys are going to go oh, face off the road. this is from the Bionicle reboot. Oh. Because I was like, why don't I, I don't know this. It, that's the version of Makuta from the reboot they did. Uh-huh, okay. Okay, and here's Makuta's reborn birth or whatever. Oh, here's where Makuta gets theatrical. Gets the big arm movements going in. <laughs> there we go. Love it. Could you imagine, like, Orson Welles doing the voice of this instead of Transformers? Like, if Orson Welles lived a little longer, he would have done this voice, too. A little longer? We're, like, 20 years. He'd <laughs> <laughs> been fucking life support. You have him on, like, the drip feed, bring him in to do the voice. I am... It's just like what they did to the poor... Toa. It's just like they did to the poor bastard who played George Jetson in the Jetsons movie. Didn't you say he like he was happy to do that though? <laughs> okay, so context: the guy who voiced George Jetson, he voiced him since like the '60s. He was big in movies like in the '30s and '40s. So this guy was old by the time they did the movie. He had had a massive stroke at some point. It had no memory, so they literally would just be like, "Hey, you know, here's the line. Oh, Jane, stop this crazy thing!" And then he would read it. And if they needed a second take, they would have to read again because it's like short-term memory. It was shot, and then he died, like had a heart attack or another stroke in the animation booth or the recording studio booth, and died. And they said, "Oh, he died doing what he loved." It's like part of me believes that, but at the same time, part of me is like, "Oh my god, was his family exploiting him?" And they just like, "Yeah, he died doing what he loved. He totally wanted to be doing that." <laughs> but anyways, back to Bionicle Two. Um. So we get our final confrontation here, which is actually yeah. pretty cool. And I, I like the stuff with the mask of time. And I just want to point out the music is once again really good in this movie. Um, mm. The mask of time theme is a standout for me. It only appears twice. This was one of the scenes. Um, yeah, and the composer, Nathan First, he did all three movies. All three are great. And he went on to do movies like Need for Speed and Active Valor. Oh, that's awesome. Because yeah. with, with this movie, didn't... It never got released on like an official soundtrack, and then didn't it get lost on like a hard drive? It did, and he somehow recovered it. Cause yeah, you can, you can actually buy them now. It's like the last piece of Bionicle media that's still officially for sale is the soundtrack for these. Movies. Really? <laughs> he because he owns the rights to them, I guess. So he oh. just released them himself. Oh. Hmm. Wonder how Lego let that get through the cracks. Eh, I don't think they care. No, I meant like back in the day, like that they're like, oh yeah, you can keep the music rights to this. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Maybe he just asked for them. And they're like, oh okay. That could have been. You like, could pay me less money if I get to keep them. He just might have. It's yeah. 
so I was insanely confused by this because they looked enough alike that in my drunken, sorry, we were drunk or I was drunk by the time we got to this point. I was confused. I'm like, wait, what happened? And Jacob just said, you'll see. And I'm like, what does that mean? For the record, that means it took Wass only an hour to get drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Wass was just waterfalling the entire time we were doing it. Just like, why do I keep saying we should do this for my show? If you drink more, the more you'll remember the names. <laughs> That's how I think they come up with the names. Okay, Johnny, take a few shots and then come up with names. Okay, there we go. Tala. Tala. No, give me a towel. One thing they did when they tried making the names was they tried to use the letter K as much as possible. Because K is the least used letter in the English alphabet. And so... Hmm. They wanted to make it seem more alien and unique. So Wait, a lot Z of the names, is used more? Yeah, Z is used more. Really? Um, hmm. Or it's, yeah, yeah it's like, easy, one of the, like look up a dictionary sometime and like look up how many words start with K compared to other letters. Hmm. I'll take your word for it. Um, We're not in the early stages of quarantine where I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, they, they focused on emphasizing K. Also, a lot of the initial Bionicle names were based on like Maorian uh, names. Until they were sued over that. But I think we talked yeah. about that already. Yeah. Well, I, I think also um, I remember reading, you know, this now potentially the nerdiest thing, surprisingly, um, that George Eastman named the company Kodak because he thought it would be the easiest pronounce because people would be able to look at it and pronounce it. So maybe that's what their thought was. Oh, we use K so people could pronounce that. They failed in this case, at least for me. He just got his invisibility powers. Yeah. Wow, Much like George neat. Eastman. That's nifty. <laughs> Much good for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about the Winua and the flashlight powers. Oh. I mean, probably. Winua became the breakout star of the movie for us. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a guy who got the short end of the stick. Well, because I even jokingly said, like, what is one? Like, how funny it would be if, like, one of them got, like, really shitty powers. And Jacob just snickered. I'm like, oh, damn, what does that mean? Well, it's like, it's like heart, you know? It is. It's like, you know. Um, but then they revealed he had X-ray powers, which is. Cool. Yeah. You should have led with that's, that. That's just from the movie. He didn't have that in all the other media. He just oh, had night God. vision. Poor bastard. He's the, he's the Hufflepuff of, of the Toa. <laughs> he's, and he sounds like Sylvester Stallone, too. That like makes it just a little funnier for me. The guy sounds like he's doing a Sylvester Stallone impression. See, I just thought it was Frank Stallone. Like, the guy's got to get work somehow. It, it gets better in the next one. I just remember there's like a line where he says something like, Was that what friends do? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds just like Rocky. Yo, Toa! <laughs> How do we get back to Metronui? Couple sound of like Sylvester Sloan doing a Snagglepuss impression. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this fight scene is great. <laughs> I will say this is like, even though I preferred the first movie, I this whole fight scene was a lot of fun as he's like tricking him. Yeah, and it's like, clever. Yeah, it's hey, not based yeah. on senseless action or like a weird basketball like game. If I remember a lacrosse based game from the last one. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I forgot that, that that first one really falls apart in the third act. Um, no, I like it's like clever use of the the invisible mask power. Yeah. And this is also one of the few movie climaxes where I could see the video game like level not having to differ too much. Like th- this screams like something like a video game. Like okay, you gotta hide behind the thing and like keep tricking him to hit the rocks. It's like this would be a great video game. Which is interesting because there wasn't a video game for this one. Uh, Look, they really to, missed the boat. Not to sound like an idiot, but. 
Wouldn't it be more simple if their powers were just in accordance to like the elements? Or is that or do they have that? They do. Oh, okay. Like, um it really like it's just the mask powers, and that came from the fact that their original sets from 2001, they like just randomly gave them mask powers because they had like they were the small sets that year, and like ah, just give give the red Turaga invisibility power. We'll say that, and uh, the black Turaga he lives underground, so he has night vision. And mm-hmm. then little did they know they had to come up with this whole movie about them four years, but three years later, mm-hmm. and then uh, oh, we have to make that a central part of the characters now. Um. So yeah. So, how about those Dodgers? And by Dodgers, I mean this guy dodging. Wrapped it back in. Yeah, yeah. We're, I, we're just watching. Yeah, we're just like sport. engaged now. And and this is where. I see. I even like this. It's like they don't just like blast him and shoot him. It's like. His own hubris. Yeah. Hmm. E2 groups. (laughs) I said, like, when we watch this, this is just like the end of Super Mario Brothers when fucking um, Aunt Petunia is just like lodged to the wall. (laughs) I just love that. That's three. Just like just like a fly against the wall there. That was the sound of the tool chest falling down the stairs. Oh God, could you imagine oh. Daniel Stern is the voice of this? He's just hey, doing Toa. the <laughs> or doing Come on down here. <laughs> or Kevin from the Wonder Years grew up in to be Makua. Hey. Hey Toa. Hey No, no, they would be the voice of the Dark Hunters. Oh, <laughs> You moron, Cracker! <laughs> Get over there! This is just turning into our impressions of stars from Home Alone. It's turning into our bad impressions of the stars <laughs> from Home Alone. Well, that was implied. <laughs> Alright, who wants to do an impression of Kyrian Culkin? <laughs> and there we go. They defeated Makuta, and he's frozen in a crystal cage. They just kicked that can down the road a couple centuries. <laughs> well, there'll be more in Bionicle 3, which... I know you're both very excited about specifically Andrew to memorize the names. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like, like do something like from Harry Potter with um, like when he was writing, and it's like I will not tell lies. It just keeps getting carved in his arm. That's why I'm gonna have to do like carve the names into my arms to remember them. You're gonna be like Mr. Zaz, but you're just carving names instead <laughs> of like victims. Bionicle names. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if like it came out? He actually isn't. He isn't a very good murderer, and like people like. Are those fake names? Uh, Lucy Ricardo? Like, are you just writing down what you were watching on TV today? So the third movie takes place right after this? Yes. Okay. When they have to go back and get the rest of the Matoran that are still inside. uh, And then finishes right here. Okay. Yeah, because now there's like hundreds of them. It's about them going back to get everyone else. I like the impression I got watching the movie. It was like, oh, we just don't need to see it because nothing important happened. But apparently a semi-theatrically linked adventure happened in between Even like those this shots. year, if you if you read the books, the events of this movie were one book. There were five books that year, I think. Hmm. Yeah. And this is where we get our connection to uh, the first movie and we find out how it all comes together. 
Now, I don't know how I feel morally about the Turaga hiding the city from the Matoran all these years, um, but I think it's an effective ending nonetheless. Sure. Yeah. I like how, like, he automatically gets, like, a staff because he's an old man now. Like, he wasn't holding one, but now he somehow has it. It's, I guess it's, it's a wicked unibrow too. I, I guess it's like the con, the like conservation of matter. Like you know, he gets smaller. That matter had to go somewhere, so it became a walking stick. He is very. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the great beings were very conscientious when they came up with that. Where if, if Toa turns into a Turaga, their tool turns. I actually, into like a walking this little stick. detail here, where she feels her face. It's almost like. She, and it's like, oh, I'm old now. It's there's a little bit of humanity yeah. there. It's, it's like, oh, she lost her youth, like, like or her powers, and it's yeah. like a little moment of self-reflection. That's that's, that's a nice touch. Yeah, you know, they had I a agree. hell. They had a hell of a week, you know, going yeah. from like kids <laughs> to gods to elderly people. Are the mature kids? No. I keep, I just well, keep referring to them they're, as kids. They're oh. not. They're not kids. But I, Greg Barsley, I saw an interview with him, and he said they always subconsciously wrote him a little like the audience surrogate. Oh, now, okay. Now you'll see here, uh, the character of Takua, um, who had the the Matorn of the Blue Mask that just appeared. He was the protagonist from the first movie, and we actually have with us now the actor who voiced him, the online film Bionicle and Anabolic Steroids PSA, which is currently trending at 160 views on YouTube. Yeah, check out the link in the description. Um, yeah, I was that character's voice. Um, yeah, I feel very much like Orson Welles. It's like, what, I play a toy killing another toy? Except I, well, no, I'm not going to give it away. Andrew's already writing his autobiography, talking about how he regrets doing the role for me. <laughs> no, there's other <laughs> roles I've done for you that are far more regrettable than this one. <laughs> you had me record this. I can't even remember what commentary we were recording. We just kept the equipment up after the fact that you had me do this. I didn't tell you what it was for. No. Um, and yeah, we got our, uh, we got the logo. Yeah. So the Some logo, nice, nice branding right there. No, okay. So the logo actually gets explained to be a thing in universe later. And that's, uh, Terry that's a spoiler. That's actually a spoiler for the fourth movie. Okay. Please tell me one of the Shakespeare's was a writer on this. Was one of no, them. They, I think they're the people that run creative capers, which where, did that where, show, uh, nightmare Ned. Where do they live? Know. Or there. Don't dox them. No, no. I mean, are they English? Uh, I, I don't know if they are. I'm going to look this up. Okay. <laughs> Just the idea that you're going to dox them right no. now. No. <laughs> I mean, we could. <laughs> no, no. Right. Yeah. I just want to interview them. Uh, let me look up. Yeah, because... Uh, I find the closing credits really weird because it's like either you can see visuals are behind it but like it's all whited out it's weird that they're not showing it well really. it's like an effect in the background yeah. there it's it, the I credits guess. are the main point it's kids don't care well i got big news for you do they live in sherman oaks i looked up terry shakespeare and uh i i'm familiar with sue shakespeare who i know some of the animation stuff she did i think weirdly enough she was involved with like trying to get the key the thief and the cobbler finished Mm-hmm. Um, Terry Shakespeare was a producer on 101 Dalmatians, apparently. <laughs> the live action one. Oh, God. They did, uh, yeah. Uh, they I, they run an animation studio. Um, what was the... Do they? That's interesting. They used to work with, I want to say both of them, used to work with Don Bluth because they were animators on, like, The Secret of Nim. Yeah. But I thought that's, mm. like, Christopher Guest is one of the voice characters. Christopher Lambert? Yeah, that would have been crazy. We got uh, Alessandro Giuliani from... 
Battlestar Galactica and Smallville is the voice of Akama. I was going to say, any relation to Rudy Giuliani? Rudy Giuliani should have voiced Tarago Duma. <laughs> Gus! <laughs> Are you saying you're trying to put the Matoran in a coma? Of course I am! <laughs> America's mayor, everybody. Metro Nui's mayor. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to be at the Metro Nui Four Seasons. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's there's like a bunch of late night hosts making fun of them at night. <laughs> Taking embarrassing pictures of Taragaduma plastering all over the news. <laughs> that was oil coming down the side of his face at the press conference. Ladies and gentlemen, the Vaki have confirmed that they've searched Taragaduma's house for any incriminating evidence of Makuta. Well, I... We, you should do a Photoshop where you take off Rudy Giuliani's face and it's Makuta. Uh. <laughs> no, you take the shot of Makuta where he's like, he just took off Duma's mask and just put Rudy Giuliani's face. Oh. <laughs> well, that's up on the screen right now, guys. Um, that's the thumbnail for the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been a great time. I love watching these movies. I have no idea what's going on half the time because I'm drunk when we're doing it, but it's great. I love them, and yeah. Yeah, it's a thing where I wish I could like these more because they are interesting, <laughs> but just I don't think I can ever get these fucking names right. I don't think there's ever hope for me to really like engage with this as like some, someone like you, Jacob, but I want to. It's, the ship is it says a lot. It's kind of like, as a kid, I started from 2001, and slowly the world was opened up for me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like with you, Jake, and Boss, like someone's telling you to jump out of the plane and skydive into the Pacific Ocean without a parachute. Yeah, well, it's it's like <laughs> it's like following Star Wars, trying to follow Star, but without seeing the movies. You're just reading like the EU stuff, and my God, I'm talking about like yeah, pre-Disney. Yeah. Talking like Wikipedia. Yeah, it's like yeah. that, and forget yeah, it. Yeah, the Palpatine surgical... Um... Yeah, no, you, I think, and I, I think we've, you know, we've discussed, discussed Bionicle 2, but I think in terms of why it became kind of inaccessible, we've sort of nailed it here. Yeah. Not just the story becoming more complicated, because as we know with comics, that does not need to be a be-all, end-all. It certainly didn't help, though, but it is the fact that there wasn't a very centralized way of well, exploring the story. Well, it's funny, because with the reboot, I was reading that... Um, the the whole idea was to simple to to simplify the mythology and then that ended up getting criticized and i thought well simplifying the mythology wasn't necessarily the solution i think it was just too little too late i think it was uh they needed to find a streamlined way to tell it kind of like you said like a centralized way of getting the whole thing across. yeah but by that point Bionicle had been out for so long. It was just. Are you talking about the reboot? In 2014. Oh, that was like a total reboot. That, that's what I mean, though, um, where it was it was more simplified and everything. But I. That was like a, a Batman Begins style thing. Yeah, yeah it, I, I don't. I don't think the solution is to try to simplify the mythology. The solution should have been to. I, I mean, find I a way I, to deliver. Well, they missed the mark. I, I think in like the early 2000s, that was really the only way they could have done it. Because the whole point of the, I know it's the end, but the whole point of these things, if you, if you watch something like a movie or a TV show that incentivizes you to go out and search for like the supplementary material, you know, and that, that can add to, and that's, that furthers the engagement, uh, you know, as opposed to just getting lost with, with the minutia of everything and, and all these disparate uh, platforms. But I, and I think the movies were meant to be that, but even that I don't think was enough. I think like a TV show would have been the yeah. ideal format for something like yeah, this. Even I if agree. it was like, 
I, I imagine a Bionicle TV show in like the early 2000s, and it would have looked like Beast Wars or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, or, or like this. I I mean, ideally, it would have looked like this. Movie I don't think did, you could have had the budget but like, to do that. It, it would have been like corny yeah. and cheesy. And so there's a part of me that's thankful that we got what we did because I appreciate what they achieved. But I think in terms of like staying power, what you're suggesting, Jake, would have been the right move. Yeah, I, I still think you could have had all those things though, because like any successful franchise, they've. That's what they're based around, you know. It just—I think there was just a misstep with this, yeah. and it was its undoing in the end. Well, at least that's my opinion. I don't know. Maybe we could go further into—we could maybe talk about that with the third movie. But yeah, fortunately, the movie was only seventy-five minutes long, so we uh, we will not have the time to continue to talk about this because I, I find it fascinating. Maybe we'll just yeah. do a discussion it video is where like, we're not confined by a running time. We'll do that once, after, maybe after we do the third yeah. one. But I, it just is fascinating to me that <laughs> this franchise had such high level of storytelling prowess for a merchandise-driven franchise, but is pretty much forgotten now. Yeah. It's like got a cult audience when Which it was very crazy. popular. And it was today. so... It, it, it pretty much brought Lego out of... Uh, you know, they were almost at the end there in like the in like the nineties, and this brought them back. It was basically single handedly supporting Lego in the early two thousands. Yep, two thousand three like was a huge loss leader for Lego, um, because that was the year I want to say that was the year there wasn't a Harry Potter or Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. and those were like their other two big lines at that point. And Bionicle basically was single handedly supporting them at that point. Oh wow, it was okay. like the cash cow. Well. And then it was after that year. Starting with this, that we saw the slow decline of uh, Bionicle, but it was very slow because it was still very successful at this point. Well, it had been until like two thousand six. That's isn't that when like the first line ended or something? Yeah, it lasted until two thousand ten, and then oh, okay. they rebooted it in twenty fifteen. Okay, there you go. Well, we should probably yeah wrap so, it up. Yeah, well, we hope you enjoyed our look into Bionicle two. Um, the search for Curly's gold. <laughs> um, <laughs> the search for Krekka's gold. There we go. Um, so, yeah. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Unity, duty, and flashlight powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>